1: The delicious ice-cold taste of Dr. Pepper has a lasting effect on people. Lindsay from Sacramento said,
2: Pro tip, 40 degrees is the perfect temperature for an ice-cold Dr. Pepper.
1: Why is 40 degrees the perfect temperature for Dr. Pepper? We brought in Sue from Duluth, Minnesota to tell us.
2: Oh yeah, I know a thing or two
3: about cold. Oh, that right there is the perfect kind of ice-cold for Dr. Pepper. I'd share that with my friend Nancy. She likes Dr. Pepper too, you know. My co All right,
1: that'll be all, Sue. Having a perfect temperature for your Dr. Pepper? It's a pepper thing. Inspired by real fan posts.
0: The truth is that we are in a climate emergency. We have less than 10 years to make substantial changes to our society and way of life and
4: our economy. I want
1: to stress from the outset that this pandemic is far from over. Those who have never fought for the colors they fly should be careful about criticizing those who have. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts.
2: And good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepker. Well, between the energy crisis and the Covid threat, Boris Johnson is trying to reinvigorate his government. His cabinet reshuffle continues today after a number of big names were sacked, demoted or moved yesterday. The latest appointments include Penny Mordaunt switching to the Trade Department. Gavin Williamson was sacked and replaced by Nadim Zahawi as Education Secretary, whilst Liz Truss replaces Dominic Raab as the new Foreign Secretary. Now, she was asked about the changes as she left Downing Street. Well, the Prime Minister has put in place a strong and united team, uh, which is going to deliver for the United Kingdom. We're determined to deliver on the people's priorities and help level up the country.
1: Well, the reshuffle comes as Johnson's approval rating slips from 48% back in May to 35% now. He's using the revamp to promise to build back better from the pandemic. It also gives him a chance to reward some of those MPs first elected in 2019 with jobs in government.
2: Well, joining us now to discuss uh, all the movers and shakers, Alexander Stafford, who is Conservative MP for Rother Valley. Alexander, welcome to the programme. Thank you for joining us. I also should mention that you sit on the House of Commons Business Strategy Committee and you also chair the ESG and Hydrogen Committees. Perhaps I've got a question for you on those topics in a moment. But firstly, let's talk about the Cabinet, shall we? Um, What is the point of this Cabinet reshuffle?
4: Well, I think it's, it's long overdue, this reshuffle. The last reshuffle was really a general election, and then February, a the mini one uh, last year. So we're about 18 months after reshuffle, so it's time to sort of freshen up the team. We've obviously had a, a big team which got the Brexit done and then had dealt with COVID, dealing with COVID. And now we are, thank God, seeing the sort of, at least the starting to the back of COVID. This is the team that's going to help get the recovery going, really increase the levelling up, and use the old phrase, build back better.
1: Rother Valley in uh, South Yorkshire is uh, the very epitome of a a, a red wall seat. Are you concerned about the uh, the, the shift in polling, which looks like to be on a downward trend for the the Tories? Do you think this reshuffle is going to help with that?
4: Well, I don't think there's a downward trend uh, on the doorstep. The attitude uh, is very good. For instance, at the local elections this year, we went from zero councillors on Rottenham councils to 20. Uh, so, so, And they were almost lost control of the council by, uh, like, 94 votes. So I think the, the upward trajectory is doing quite well. But I do think this team in place is really going to help level up the area. There's some good promotions. You've got, obviously, Michael Gove now in charge of, sort of levelling up the agenda, uh, MHCLG, ML- and also, like, Simon Clark, great to see Simon Clark back on the uh, front bench, back, attending cabinet as a similar Red Wall MP, Chief Secretary of the Treasury now in a very important role. Uh, I think it's a very positive reshuffle in terms of living up
2: OK, a positive reshuffle from your perspective. I mean, of course, those local elections took place uh, before the tax rise, um, bringing taxes up to essentially the highest level in 70 years under a Tory government. Also, the other aspect, though, of this cabinet reshuffle, is, and one explanation that I heard from, I think it was a government government minister this morning, saying that it brings in more uh, diversity, more women into cabinet Um but it seems also to others that it's just the same deck of ministerial names that are just being shuffled around.
4: Well, I, I don't think so in that, that sense at all. I mean, if you look at it, we had three cabinet members going, which actually for a reshuffle is quite a large number of reshuffles, uh, number of ministers going. Of course, people are getting promoted and people are being put into different roles where their skills are going to be uh, used. I think what's going to be more interesting in some ways is the lower uh, lower rungs the ministerial positions which is starting to be announced today and will be announced today and tomorrow and that is where you see a lot of the sort of fresh blood coming into the government and really shaping the agenda over the next few years
1: are you worried about a uh if you'll pardon the, the cliche a, a winter of discontent what with with covid restrictions energy prices going through the roof food supply uh shortages we're even told that perhaps toys may be thin on the ground uh uh, as, as Christmas approaches. Are, are you worried about these things coming together?
4: I think we've got to be sort of sensible. It's going to be a difficult few months for, for everyone, really. We're going to make some difficult decisions. Universal Credit uh, is one of the difficult decisions. National Insurance rise is another one. You mentioned the uh, gas prices, which are going to rise. That's another hard decision. It's going to be difficult, because we are coming out of the back of a global pandemic. This government has spent about what, £400 billion saving jobs, saving businesses, keeping the economy going. And unfortunately, that money has to be uh, paid for. There's no such thing as free money. But I do think with those uh, spending, those uh, spending and also with these tax rises, which you've mentioned to, the government has put in clear plans, such as on uh, health and social care, to keep things going. And I think while while taxation may be difficult for the next few months, I do think people understand we're coming from a position of weakness. The whole world's in a weakened state. And we'll get through this together.
2: Okay. Um, There is now, though, the real possibility of blackouts in the UK this winter. I mean, this is really a domestic issue exacerbated by an international one, isn't it? And, And I know that you'll understand this topic. We haven't built nuclear power fast enough. We haven't built enough energy storage for intermittent wind power. We're reliant on France for some energy supplies. This is a domestic problem.
4: Yeah. I think most winters, though, everyone comes up with the, the, the so-called spectre or blackouts, but generally that, that doesn't happen. We've got a very good, robust power grid. But there's so much uh, part of it. Like One of the big issues at the moment we're seeing with suddenly increased uh, prices is the interconnectors and the fire in France. What we need to do is have more interconnectors uh, to, to, to the continent so that we can buy and sell uh, electricity when we have it. And we have a diverse portfolio of energy, whether that's solar, wind... A nuclear as you mentioned we need to have that flex in the system to keep things going but I'm very confident that the lights will happily stay on and we don't need to worry too much about it and also we just realize we are moving to a low carbon energy and that is uh, an important thing we need, to, we need to realize we are moving that way forward and actually the more we move into low carbon the more we rely on low carbon actually the chance of blackout is going to, be, going to diminish so as soon as we sort of Get released from the, the stranglehold that Russia and Putin has in the gas pipeline, and we have more control over our energy supplies. Blackouts will get less and less.
1: On the subject of low carbon, you've talked about turning Rother Valley into Britain's hydrogen valley. Do you worry that the government's strategy includes b- blue hydrogen, which, without getting too technical, comes from comes from fossil fuels? Do you think it'd be better if we uh, moved more quickly to green hydrogen, which is which is you know r- really sort of climate friendly?
4: Oh yeah, we need to get to green hydrogen. Green hydrogen needs to be uh, the the end goal, and we need to get there. Unfortunately, we're not there with technology and development, so I very much see the hydrogen journey as a journey. Obviously, we started with grey where we are now, go to blue where we develop that technology, get up to scale, and then get to green. We need to get there as quick as possible, but you can't just jump straight to green. You need to have that vessel. And the only thing that I want to push the government, and I raised this literally in Parliament uh, two days ago in a Westminster Hall debate, is to make sure that we move from the blue hydrogen to the green hydrogen. We can't just stay on the blue hydrogen. But I do not think the well, at the moment you, can't go, you can not go straight to green hydrogen at scale. We need that vessel of blue hydrogen to get there.
2: OK. Um, COVID. Can we live with COVID uh, over the winter? I mean, we, you know, we've talked about um, energy. Can we live with COVID if hospitalisations keep rising as they are how quickly do you think we're going to end up with more lockdowns and more restrictions
4: well no one wants any lockdowns at all and we've seen over the summer actually uh the way you can open up the economy and open up aspects but we but you said we do have to live with covid in a sense covid is not magically going to disappear overnight it's not it's going to be around frankly for the rest of our lives in some form we have to Live with it and mitigate the risks, where that's firstly and most importantly, everyone having the vaccine and two shots of the vaccine. And if necessary, and if there's huge spikes, there may be alternative uh, extra measures. The Prime Minister announced this week. But fundamentally, we have to get on with our lives. We have to reopen our economy as we have. We have to keep going. And that's the only way, frankly, we can avoid large tax rises by keeping our economy going and fund the NHS, which deals with the impact of COVID.
1: Delivering the levelling up, up agenda for places like uh, South Yorkshire is always going to be a, a, a tough ask for, for the government and particularly with COVID. But do you worry that we're uh, nearly two years into uh, the parliamentary term and not much has really come your way so far?
4: Well, I think we will be honest by this. COVID has knocked everything uh, to the side. Uh, really. But one thing that hasn't been knocked by completely is the levelling up agenda. And that's quite positive. We've seen this with the levelling up fund that the government announced, uh, announced earlier on uh, this year, a four billion pot of money. While the Valley has put in uh, the priority area one, we put in a bid for 20 million pounds, uh, including regenerating the uh, Indonesian high street, more money for Maltby and other areas. So clearly, even though times are tough, and times are incredibly tough, the still spending money to put in the levelling up agenda. And I'm hopeful to hear good news in, uh, in November when the results of the levelling up funds first round are announced.
2: Um, what are your uh, constituents telling you about the increase in national insurance? Are they as understanding as, as MPs have said that they think they will be? Uh, the polling numbers don't necessarily show that. Are you talking to your local constituents about the tax rise, which will hit in April?
4: Of course. I mean, let's be honest, nobody wants a tax rise, least of all conservatives. Conservatives are a tax-cutting party, not a tax-raising party. And I think the public understand that. The public also understands that we pump a lot of money in the NHS, rightly so. The waiting lists have exploded with a year, extra waiting list because of COVID. We care system needs fundamental reform. And people understand the money has to come from somewhere. There's no point just of harking from the sidelines like Labour doing without coming up with a plan. And this is a difficult decision. And, but most of my decisions do appreciate that we have to do something. And they want a better care system. They want to cut waste. waste. And they also realise that money has to come somewhere.
1: Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. Let's take a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. The UK and US have made a special security pact that will allow Australia to acquire nuclear-powered submarines. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison said the nuclear submarines will be built in Adelaide. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman Zhao Lijiang criticised the deal, saying it would stoke an arms race and greatly undermines regional peace and stability. It comes as Beijing increases its military capability and influence in the Asia-Pacific region.
2: Mm, So that on the military front. Well, what about COVID? Excess deaths due to coronavirus saw life expectancy in England fall last year to the lowest level in almost a decade. Public Health England said that the very high level of excess deaths caused life expectancy to drop by 1.3 years for males and 0.9 years for females. They say that's the lowest life expectancy since 2011 for both genders.
1: Mm, Well, staying on the COVID story, unions are warning that an exodus of workers will pile further pressure on care homes, many of which are already in crisis, unless ministers scrap plans to make COVID vaccinations necessary. Today is the last chance for staff in England to have their first dose, otherwise they won't be fully jabbed by the November 11th deadline.
2: And just lastly, Homes for Heroes. A think tank is urging the government to create 250,000 new homes for key workers as a reward for their efforts during the pandemic. The Centre for Policy Studies wants ministers to set aside land for these properties. It thinks that the majority of them should be offered on a rent-to-buy or shared ownership basis. But that's a thorny issue, building more homes
1: certainly is well let's get to the uh, subject of the re- reshuffle we've got a couple of uh, bloomberg experts uh, in today boris johnson demoting his uh, foreign secretary dominic rob that's the key headline from this wide-ranging uh, reshuffle after rob's uh, chaotic after the criticism of his chaotic withdrawal from afghanistan um, Jacob Rees-Mogg remaining in post as leader of the House. We're still expecting more of the reshuffle uh, over the next couple of days. Well, let's chew this over uh, with Bloomberg's UK government reporter, Joe Mays, and Bloomberg opinion columnist, Therese Raphael. Uh, Therese, you've been uh, writing about this today. Uh, they're calling it a strong and united cabinet. Uh, do you think these uh, changes are going are to help the uh, Conservative Party, help the government?
0: Well, it definitely was a confident reshuffle from Boris Johnson. He, um, you know, he got rid of ministers who were seen to be underperforming, but he also, you know, wasn't afraid to wield the axe in places where, you know, one might have been surprised. So, you know, for example, Robert Jenrick was one of the original three that supported him for leader along with Sunak and Albert Dowden. And, you know, he's gone. Um, uh, Buckland, who was a Popular um, uh, justice secretary was was you know sh- shifted aside to make space for Dominic Raab. So you know those are the signs of a prime minister who who really does feel in control. It went relatively smoothly as far as we know. So Dominic Raab you know put up a fight about being moved, but in the end he stayed in the cabinet. And if we we're you know, don't have to think back far to uh, the last reshuffle in February 2020 when Sajid Javid uh, resigned and that created um, you know all sorts of problems with the organizational chart. So it, it did go smoothly. I think the question really is what does he get out of this in terms of his central mission uh, which is to prepare for the next ele- election to level up. Uh, really what does it change in terms of policy? We, we've seen a reset um, new faces for the public although many of them are quite familiar but what you know what does it actually accomplish mm. uh, joe let's get into the nitty-gritty of the, the
2: names then shall we because um sunak and priti patel keep their jobs then you've got nadim zahari rewarded for the vaccine rollout uh, and as we've been saying rob uh, sort of shuffled around what do you pick out then because i mean before any election we've got the winter to get through so just pick out the names for us and what caught your attention
3: Yeah, just picking up what Truss just said. I think that in terms of how this changes policy and what this government actually does, I think Michael Gove's appointment to the housing brief replacing Robert Jenrick is really quite significant. And he was also given the ministerial responsibility for Leveling Up. So Michael Gove is seen in government and by Boris Johnson as a a fixer, a doer, someone who can reform uh, ministries, who can get things done. So by putting him in charge of those two briefs, I think that's Johnson really trying to put a big beast essentially behind that project. Housing is going to be a huge issue for this government. I think that statistics show that home ownership correlates very strongly with voting conservative, and that was true at the last election. I think Johnson can see a path to power which involves really solving the housing crisis, getting many more people into homes, and that would be a a big vote winner. I think that's a huge appointment, uh, Michael Gove going to housing. And then you you mentioned Nadeem Zahar to education. You're right, that is a reward for uh, his competent handling of that. The vaccine rollout. I think the Foreign Secretary made sense as a move, given that she's impressed Boris Johnson with the handling of these post-Brexit trade deals. She's essentially a very good messenger. She's a very good communicator. And in that kind of very public-facing global role, I think she's very much on board with that narrative that Johnson trying to sell a global Britain, um, trying to reach out beyond the European Union and being a strong figure in the world. I think those are the two, two very interesting um, appointments
1: it's interesting what you say about uh, Boris Johnson not being afraid to, to to wield the axe. Interesting also looking at the composition of the government in terms of, of Brexiteers. In the past, the reshuffles have, have, have uh, very much uh, been uh, in that direction. Boris Johnson, you know, sort of knew who his people were. Do you think he's sort of moving on from that now? What does this tell us sort of looking forward about the shape of the government?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know particularly with trust in the foreign office, which was a a huge move. And um, yeah, I I think from the prime minister's uh, standpoint, Brexit is done. Um, The pandemic is not over, but under control of sorts. Or so we we think at the moment, I think the winter will... Uh, might have some surprises in store on that front, but he's now trying to position the government uh, for the post Brexit, post pandemic era. As as Joe said, you know, looking to really um, define what global Britain is, what leveling up means, and he needs he needs ministers who actually can you know can do that can can flesh out those ideas. Um, you know, Truss in, in the Foreign Office, she's, you know, she's a big picture uh, politician, whereas Rob was more of a micromanager. Um, so she can be expected both to get the messaging right, but also perhaps to be able to shape the, the broader vision uh, in a way that Rob wasn't really able to do. Joe, we potentially
2: have a very tricky um, few months ahead. Uh, I mean, in fact, that's what you know. Alexander Stafford, the Conservative MP, we were just speaking to um, earlier, sort of explained. I mean, he's kind of one of the young breed of, of, of Tory MPs. You've got COVID. You've got rising energy prices. You have food potentially food shortages, toy shortages, and so on. Um, This is going to be a very tricky few months. Brexit plays into that. Do you think this government is prepared for that winter?
3: I mean, that's an excellent question. And, you know, it's that famous Howard Macmillan phase. Like, it, it's all about events. Like, how how can you respond to events? The things that are beyond your control. I think Boris Johnson probably secretly is quite worried about that horizon you just painted and his ability to essentially deal with it. I mean, his government is going to, to be absolutely on the top of its game. Quasi quarteting in the business and energy brief, he's going to have a huge job dealing with that energy crisis, which we just talked about. On the supply chain issue, again, Michael Gove is being mobilized to try and to prevent any kind of food or to- to- toy shortages at Christmas. I mean, this is going to be one heck of an intray for those ministers. And You mentioned the COVID crisis, Sajid Javid. This huge question of do we use more restrictive measures? Should we try and go for you know, lockdown sooner rather than later? Will we learn the mistakes of the past? Or will the vaccines be strong enough to, to not require that as intervention? You know, it's going to be a, a massive coming month of
1: politics. Therese, in terms of... Uh Party management. How is this going to work with this reshuffle? The the, the kind of twin changes with reshuffles is that you upset people you're chucking out of the cabinet, and then people who haven't been brought into government, even at the lower levels and sitting on the back benches, feel uh, uh, unhappy as well. How how is he doing on Mm -hmm. that front?
0: Well, I mean, the Tories have now been in power a very long time, which means there are a lot of former um, heavyweights on those back benches, and we've seen in a number of key debates, you know, Theresa May and um, and Jeremy Hunt stand up and. And, and uh, you know, now obviously you have Gavin Williamson uh, and others sitting on those benches. And and I suppose they could cause um, a little trouble. Johnson doesn't seem to be too worried about it now or else he would have, you know, found more jobs <laughs> for those people. Um, but it's, you know, it's I think the Tories have very pragmatic. They are always election focused. Uh, They're not going to start preparing for an election on the eve of. They're, you know, they're starting today in a way. Um, But, you know, as... Joe just said, there are events that will intervene and, and may change the course of things. And, you know, let's not forget, we have a spending review coming up. We have ministers who are taking over portfolios and may not be in a great position to advocate uh, for the needs of their ministries. I mean, take Rob at Justice. Um, you know, you hear from civil servants that, you know, they've been working for uh, a long time on, on how to lobby Sunak for more funds. And they think that, you know, sometimes those, those efforts, um, you know, don't go very well. When you've got a new minister taking over, so yeah, I think they're conscious of uh, the need to prepare for a new election. But you know, there's a lot that can happen between now and whenever that's declared.
2: Yeah, absolutely. What five weeks is it to the uh, to the budget, Joe? Just um, very briefly, would we? Do you think that there might be any more tax rises, any more surprises? Because a lot of people thought that actually the tax and spend thing on the NHS was virtually a mini budget anyway. More tax and spend surprises.
3: Yeah, it was a pretty huge fiscal announcement to come outside of a budget. I think it, the criticism of it is that it won't actually do enough to plug the gaps that the NHS faces. So you, you think that there has to be more. And if you think that the net zero agenda this government has, you might expect policy in the kind of environment climate realm which might involve taxation uh, and extra spending. I think, I think, I think that is the direction. We're still not on a sustainable kind of fiscal footing in the UK. so you'd have to think that it's going to be more of the same in terms of um, being, being restrictive on spending and perhaps tax like but that's where okay. kind of my money would be.
1: Bloomberg Westminster listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
4: Atlas Butler is built to keep you comfortable, and our plumbing services are no exception. You can rely on Atlas Butler for trusted, convenient plumbing and drain service. Our expert plumbers and drain specialists can take care of anything, from a broken water heater to a clogged drain. Call today, get it fixed today. That's our pledge to you.